As we go through this series, Connie's going to be singing songs that tell a story, and I'm going to start with a story each week. So this story, and, and by, by the way, these are examples of what I think are really well-told stories. This story is called A Story About Eggs, and it's by Bruce Holland Rogers. We do it like this. I go across the street to Oren's house. Oren has loaded the plastic eggs the night before. He puts five or six of them in a brown paper bag. We don't do more than five or six at a time. Then he gets his walker with the oxygen tank, and the brown paper bag goes into the basket in the front. And we go out Oren's door, down the ramp, all the way down the street, past the park, and along the river path. That's where we do it, on the river path. But I'm making this sound too easy. Everything's hard and takes a long time. That's how it is for us at our age. It takes a long time to get down the ramp. It takes a long time to walk to the end of the street. We have to stop for Oren to catch his breath. He doesn't look too good. His face is kind of gray. But eventually, we get all the way to the park. And in time, we get through the park to the river path. And then we begin. We walk a little, and then we stop. Oren says, anybody? He can't turn around, so he has to ask me if anyone's in sight behind us. We can't do it when anybody's watching. When we have a stretch of path to ourselves, he reaches into the bag. His hands shake a bit. The beds of his fingernails are purple. He takes out one of the eggs, and I crack it open so we can have one last look at part of his collection. Maybe it's a Canadian silver dollar from 1967 with the goose in flight, or it's a British crown with St. George killing the dragon. A lot of times, it's just an ordinary silver dollar. We admire it. Some of those coins are so pretty. Sometimes it's a coin with a story, like the Luxembourg 100 francs with John the Blind charging into battle. And Oren fills me in on the details. And I say, my, my, isn't that something? Then we do it like this. We put the coin back inside the egg, check again to make sure we're alone, and I hide the egg where Oren tells me, in the crook of a tree, in among the blackberry brambles, under some leaves with just a tiny bit of pink or purple showing. Oren has lived here his whole life, and the river path is where he used to hunt for pop bottles. I grew up somewhere else, but I remember the hunt, the triumph of a good haul. One bottle was good for two pieces of penny candy. Five bottles were worth a dime, and that was a comic book. Oren says, wouldn't that be a good feeling? He has to catch his breath between sentences. You find an egg, and inside it is a silver crown. Silver's up so high that just one of these coins is real money. Of course, I kind of think it would be sad if whoever found one of these eggs went right to the coin shop and sold it. My favorite of the ones we've hidden so far are the Polish coins with the girl haloed in wheat, the Nicaraguan Nicaraguan Cordoba with the smiling sun, and the Selenese five rupees with the 16 ducks walking around the coin in a circle. We aren't too regular. Oren doesn't want anyone to come looking on a schedule. Anyway, here's how we do it. I don't know about the others. 
their eggs started showing up on the river path in places where we knew we hadn't hidden anything. Sometimes they were reusing our eggs, we think. Sometimes their eggs were different sizes or a different color, or they made an egg that was half blue and half green, which we don't do. Inside the first one, we found this little poem on a scrap of paper. The oak tree stands noble on the hill, even in cherry blossom time. One big yellow egg held a smaller egg that held a smaller egg that held a still smaller egg that held a slip of paper with the word sunshine. Another one of those nesting eggs, a green one, held the word grass. We have found eggs bearing a wristwatch without a strap, a pair of cufflinks, a roll of postcard stamps, a boondoggle chain, a phone number, a tiny pen knife, and a dollar bill. Oren usually spots them first, and I bring them to him. Then we put them back. We make our way along the river, and every so often, Oren has to lean over the walker in a way that lets him catch his breath. The oxygen can only help so much. While we're resting like that, Oren spots a hollow tree that is such a perfect hiding place, it's a wonder we never saw it before. We're alone. We crack open the last egg of the day and look at the coin. Oren says it's from Iran. One side shows a lion holding a sword. It's a beauty. When I get to the tree, I find the big blue egg that's already there. So I swap them out, and I bring the blue one to Oren. I can tell by the size and feel of it that it's going to be another one of those nesting eggs. And sure enough, when I start to open it for him, we find a blue egg inside a blue egg inside a blue egg. Inside the smallest egg is a slip of paper. It says, air. Oren smiles. I think he'd laugh if he could. This one, he says, as he pauses to get his breath. This one, I think I'll keep. a good story makes you feel something. It unfolds for you. It starts out leaving you with questions, catches your attention, calls you in, requires you to to give something to get something. And we all want to be good storytellers. We've been telling stories since we could talk even before we could speak clearly when our parents had to strain to try and figure out what the words were. And we've been listening to stories for as long as we've been. Our parents told stories. Their parents told stories. Their parents, 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 parents told stories. Telling stories is educational. We tell our stories so we can teach each other something. If you want to teach your nephew not to go near the creek... Then tell him Uncle George fell in with, and the, co- the crocodiles got him right there. <laughs> we teach by our stories. We entertain by our stories. If you're a storyteller, the laugh is what you're waiting for. Our stories are how we define our life. They're also how we define our world. And there are poets and authors and people of words who believe that if we didn't have stories, there would be no world that without our stories, nothing would exist. Our stories are very powerful. And unity teaches us and invites us to be cautious with our words, 
to think about the stories that we tell, to think about how we define things with our words, because we believe that words create, don't we? How many of you have heard that here? Right. So this subject is interesting because I'm going to ask you to look all the way back through your life at the stories you've been telling yourself. We will get to the part where you get to decide whether to keep the stories or not. But the thing is, our life is so busy that a lot of times we don't pay attention to what the stories we've been telling ourselves are. So before we start, I want to invite you to do something with me. I want to ask you to place your hands on your heart and to close your eyes. I want to remind you that very few people tell the stories of how perfect they are. We tell the stories about the places where we've made mistakes. We tell the stories about the times that we've hurt. We, we build our stories around the experiences that we've had in our life that have shaped and molded us, sometimes not in the easiest of ways. So I want to invite you to love yourself through this process. To just notice the love in your heart. To understand that no matter what your story is, you are here now and safe. And that exploring your story doesn't change that. It only deepens it. I want you to notice the comfort of your hands on your heart. And promise yourself that if at any time in this series your story feels uncomfortable, that you will take a moment and place your hands over your heart again and remember that you are safe and you are here and all is well. Gently open your eyes. When we look at our life stories, some of us have been told there were things we weren't allowed to speak about. You can't talk about that. You can't tell anybody that. That's really not important for anyone else to know. I want to tell you that your story, your truth is yours. And that you not only have full permission, but every right to tell your story exactly as you have experienced it and exactly as it is for you. And not only do you have every right, but it's important for you to have your story and know what it is without anybody telling you you can't. I also want to tell you that your story belongs to you and you have the right to hold it in privacy. You are not required to share anything that you don't want to share with anyone except yourself. Sometimes when we hold a story very precious or it feels like more than we can talk about it, we put it away in an inner file cabinet and decide not to look at it rather than exploring it for ourselves. And to do this work, I'm inviting you to explore your own story. How many of you know someone who, as they age, said to you, nobody really cares what I have to say anymore? I'm too old. How many of you have had your kids or someone younger than you say, you don't even know what you're talking about. 
How many of you have been afraid that as you age, no one will really care what you have to say? Yes. This is why our story is important. We get so busy in life that we don't take time to think about what it is that we've learned and what it is that we have to share, what we really care about sharing. In fact, many people don't think about that until they know the end is very imminent. And then they tell what short bit they can. So this series invites you, no matter what age you are, to remember that we don't know whether we have tomorrow or not. And today might be the day that you need to tell your story. So if today was the day you had to tell your story, and it was the last chance to tell your story, what would be important about what you've learned? This process that we're in invites you to look at your life, to look and see what you've learned that has value and meaning for other people. It invites you to go all the way back and begin at the beginning. Nobody's going to check your homework, but you got some when you came in, didn't you? You got a, a handout that looks like this, and if you didn't get it, you can get it on the way out. This is an invitation for you to take this work deeper. And you don't have to, because nobody's going to check it, and no one's going to know except you. But each week over the next four or five weeks, you'll receive something like this, a prompt, an invitation to look at your story. You may want to write, or you may want to just sit with the questions that are asked. You may want to find a trusted friend and have a conversation about these things. But I'm inviting you to look at your story in a new way. I want you to practice this with me. I'm just going to let that go. Eh, I'm going to let that go. Yeah, that. I'm letting that go. We look at our story not so that we can hold it precious and write a deeper drama. We look at our story so that we can decide what has value and what we can let go of what we really don't have to hold so tight. And we look at our story to figure out what's going on back here in the back of our brain. So when we tell a story, there are a couple of different ways to tell one. You can tell a story like this. This is true, by the way. Um, In my 20s, I had my children very young. I had my first child at 19 and my second at 21. And they were 18 months apart. And I got divorced in the middle of that and was a single parent for five years with two very young children. And uh, I worked as a waitress at a Holiday Inn in this, you know, at the time the Holiday Inn was a big, fancy place to work, and it was the hardest job I ever did. And no matter how many hours I worked, it seemed like I couldn't be everywhere I needed to be or make enough money to make ends meet. So oftentimes in my life now when things are really hard, I look back at that time and I remember, oh, heck, if I could do that, I can do anything. That's one way to tell a story. Here's the way to tell a story differently to show you more about the story. So when I was young, um, probably pretty fresh out of high school, I had my first child. And it was the 
most mind-blowing moment of my life. I'm sure many of you mothers have had that experience when you look at your first child and, and it's the miracle of that being combined with the horror of the fact that you now have to figure out what to do with it. <laughs> and so I, I had two children by the time I was 21 and they were very little. They were only 18 months apart. They were very small. And for, for what seemed like years, I had to carry them both at the same time. And I was a single parent. So if I needed anything else, it was a quick trip out, get the kids strapped into the car seats, grab something else, go back out to the car. So I'd go back out and, and put that in the car. So I worked as a waitress relying on tips. I was a good waitress because I needed those tips. Because kids that age, they, you think that that it's the big kids that need all the food, but kids that age need food and diapers and clothing and toys and all kinds of stuff. And as a single parent, it was really hard. In fact, that job, that waitressing job, was one of the hardest jobs I ever worked. How many of you have been waiters or waitresses? So nobody ever stops you when the tray is empty, do they? They stop you and you're like balancing five plates, trying to get to the people who are really hungry and have been waiting for a long time. So I was a waitress. I dropped the kids off at the daycare in the morning. I was so excited that I was going to have fun with them when I picked them up in the afternoon. I went and did the job, which wore me out. And I can remember carrying those kids in at the end of the day and thinking they must have gained 20 pounds in the daycare because they were so much heavier when I got them to the, day, to, the, to the door. And I remember this particular day that I got to the door and there was an eviction notice on my door because I had not been able to pay the rent. And I was trying to figure out how I was going to take the few dollars that were in my, was in my wallet and pay the rent or buy food. And I can remember what it felt like to stand at that door and realize that no matter which decision I made, somehow everything would be okay. That somehow we would not be without a place to live and my kids would find food and I knew people and I wasn't alone in the world. And that lesson was really valuable to me. And even today, all these years later, remembering that I'm not alone in the world in the moments that I want to tell myself I am, comes much more quickly as a result of that experience. Can you tell the difference between those two stories? So one story says, here's what happened. And the other story says, this is what it felt like. This is what it felt like to have this experience. It's easier to talk to people when you're willing to be vulnerable and share what it feels like. People will listen to you better if you're willing to do that, you will listen to your own story in a different way if you allow yourself to revisit what it felt like. So if you want to uncover your story, you have to be able to be willing, you have to be willing to be vulnerable with yourself, to go into those places that maybe aren't as comfortable as you'd like them to be. And you'll also find places that bring you great joy when you do that. So there are some questions on the second page of this handout that I gave you. And I went through them myself yesterday as I was putting this together. I am a child of, who are your parents? 
I was born. I was born in the winter of 1961 in Montana, where it was really cold. My father was. And I got to this question, and I thought my father was. My father was in the Air Force. My father was a basketball referee. My father wouldn't change a diaper. My father drove us on snowmobiles through the neighborhood with a sled tied to the back. My father, my father was a dairy farmer. My father did all of this. My father was a strict disciplinarian. What the heck should I talk about when it comes to my father? I imagine that you will have the same experience. I'm not asking for the short answer. I'm inviting you into the expansive answer. My father was this, is this. My mother was this, is this. This is where I was and what was happening in my family. I had brothers this age. I had an uncle who lived in my house with me. We lived across the street from the church. Whatever it is, I'm inviting you to truly take the time to tell your story to yourself. If you want to write it down, you can. I encourage you to do that. Here's why. Because somewhere along the line, when it's very close to time for you to leave, someone is going to say to you, did you ever write down your story? I have a thousand questions I never thought to ask you. And you will say, yes, I did. As a matter of fact, I did this exercise years ago, and I wrote it all down. If you don't want to write it down, tell someone who cares, who will know what your story is. Your story matters in the world. And as you go through this, for me, it was really interesting to look at the things that, that I knew about my parents, that my parents had going on before I had any influence over them, about the ideas that I had about who they are and the ideas that I have now. Daniel Wood asked this question. I'm sorry, Michael Wood. The tale of someone's life begins before they are born. What's your tale? What do you think about before you got here? Where do you think you were? What do you think was going on in your family? Why do you think you came now that you have the opportunity to look back? Why do you think you chose right now? Do you believe you chose it? Do you think your grandchildren and grandchildren's grandchildren would like to know that you believe that either you were sent here, you just appeared, or you decided that this is the time you wanted to be born? They will care. It tells you something about yourself. So this week, we're beginning at the beginning. I'm inviting you to do this work. As I said, no one's going to check your homework. What I will hear from someone is, oh, I'm so busy. I'm so busy I can't get to that. I want to invite you not to be too busy. So a minister's job is to do that. A minister's job is to poke and prod a little bit and encourage you to make time for your spiritual growth. To make it something more than what you do on Sunday morning. To make it what you do in your life. So I want to invite you most sincerely into this work. 
to participate in this series over the next few weeks. There's going to come a time in the series when we say, eh, I'm letting that go. That story no longer serves me. That's going to come. There's going to come a time when we look at what we wrote and say, I want to rewrite that story. I'm the boss. I get to pen this story. I get to decide what I want to share. We're going to do that. But first, we have to begin at the beginning. So I'm inviting you in, in your most vulnerable, soft place, to begin at the beginning this week and explore where you started and what you've learned from that beginning. I have some quotes for you. There's a Native American proverb that says, tell me the facts and I'll learn. Tell me the truth and I'll believe. But tell me a story and it will live in my heart forever. John Gottschall said, we are as a species addicted to story even when the body goes to sleep. The mind stays up all night telling itself stories. Philip Pullman said, after nourishment, shelter, and companionship, stories are the thing we need the most in the world. Steven Spielberg said, people have forgotten how to tell a story. Stories don't have a middle and an end anymore. They usually have a beginning that never stops beginning. Ben Oakry said, the fact of storytelling hints at a fundamental human unease, hints at human imperfection. Where there is perfection, there is no story to tell. And Steve Jobs said this, the most powerful person in the world is the storyteller. The storyteller sets the vision, values, and agenda of an entire generation that is to come.